Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our World Risk Register Threat Monitoring Service. These podcasts are released on a weekly basis, covering timely and relevant topics. In these discussions, we hope to shed light on evolving scenarios and provide actionable predictions and implications. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Hello and welcome to another Sibylline podcast. Today I'm joined by our Asia-Pacific director, Nick Flintoff, and we're going to be talking about the Easter Sunday bombings in Sri Lanka. Explosions in luxury hotels and churches killed over 350 people. The government have linked domestic Islamist militant group, NTJ, to the attack, and Islamic State have also claimed involvement. So Nick, what do we know about the NTJ? So the NTJ is a previously little-known extremist Islamist organization that appears to have emerged over the past year or so in Sri Lanka, mainly in response to anti-Muslim rioting and other violence against Muslims um, inflicted by the country's majority Sinhalese Buddhist population. And given that, could they have launched this attack alone? Well, Sri Lanka's Prime Minister Ranil Wickremesinghe has said that the attacks could not have been carried out purely by a local group. Um, Islamic State has claimed responsibility, and the relative sophistication and the coordination of the attacks do bear all the hallmarks of IS. The attacks are clearly a very complex operation involving multiple simultaneous suicide bombings. This represents a significant logistical operation and would likely require several months of planning with the bombers also necessitating careful management by handlers to keep them committed during the training right through until perpetrating the attack itself. The relatively sophisticated bomb-making skills would be needed to produce explosive devices that were both reliable and sufficiently powerful to cause such significant damage. Um, Access to large quantities of military-grade explosives would also have been necessary, in addition to safe houses and bomb-making workshops. Now, the targets also bear similarities to recent IS-linked attacks elsewhere in Asia. Uh, there were the church bombings in uh, Surabaya in Indonesia last year that killed 28 people, which are carried out by a family with connections to Islamic State. And the group also claimed responsibility for uh, blasts at a cathedral in Jolo in the southern Philippines earlier this year that killed 22 people. So what would IS be trying to achieve through this attack in Sri Lanka? So I think it's useful to frame their motivation for carrying out this attack by looking at three key aims which run through many of Islamic State's violent acts, which is to terrorize, to mobilize, and to polarize. So in this case, we might consider that the attacks are designed to terrorize Christians both in Sri Lanka and elsewhere and to deter foreign nationals from visiting or investing in the country, and thereby undermining the government and creating economic hardship, which could exacerbate sectarian differences in the country. The attacks could also be an attempt to mobilize jihadists across South Asia, which, despite the best efforts of transnational groups such as Islamic State, has proven pretty immune to widespread radicalization to date. The more permissive security environment in Sri Lanka, uh, vis-à-vis India, Pakistan and Bangladesh, may also have been a contributing factor in the country's selection as a target. The bombings could also have been designed to polarise Sri Lankan society, with the masterminds hoping for a backlash 
against the Muslim community, which makes up around about 10% of the population, which could create fertile ground for greater radicalization and inspire tens of millions of Muslims in South Asia occupying what the jihadists refer to as the grey zone, which is this sphere of coexistence where Muslim and non-Muslim live in relative harmony, could inspire these people to start seeing the world as the jihadists do, as a binary fight between good and evil. Okay, and why were the Sri Lankan authorities unable to prevent or detect this attack? Was there any formal warning? Well, an Indian intelligence warning from the beginning of the month about the planned attacks is seemingly not properly shared by the authorities. It appears that the information was neither acted upon nor passed to key decision makers within the government. I think this highlights the dysfunction within the Sri Lankan government and bureaucracy, which has been beset by political infighting between rival factions for several years. Different branches and factions within the police, the military, the intelligence community are aligned with various politicians and political parties, likely contributing to the failure to prevent Sunday's attack. So what does this mean for the security environment in Sri Lanka going forward? So I think the most immediate danger is likely to come from uh, people who may seek to incite riots um, to exact uh, vengeance on the Muslim community. Sri Lanka does have a history of um, intercommunal violence um, in which innocent people have often suffered due to extremists within their own communities committing attacks and thereby triggering a backlash. Um, the Sri Lankan authorities are obviously very concerned about this kind of violence um, and that was a likely a key driver between their decision to implement the countrywide ban on social media in the immediate aftermath of the attack, where inflammatory content has uh, fueled violence in the past. Um, I think a broader concern now is how this attack relates to the rest of the region, um, as other groups attempt to keep up and are inspired to launch attacks of their own. I think the reported use of at least one female suicide bomber is interesting in this regard, with that choice, at least in part, I think an attempt to inspire or to shame other potential jihadists into joining the fight, rather than simply engaging in more passive activities such as posting on chat rooms. Okay, thanks Nick. So it sounds like we're going to be seeing instability in Sri Lanka for some time to come. And with foreign governments changing their travel advice accordingly, this is inevitably going to impact tourism, which is a key pillar of the Sri Lankan economy. And that brings our discussion to a close. If we've raised any questions here today, please do get in touch and we'd be happy to help. Thank you for listening and we hope you have found this podcast useful. If you would like to learn more about our services or if you have any questions or feedback, please get in touch at info at